Welcome to Draft Deeper on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. That's right. I am back. Ladies and gentlemen, Nathan Grubel is in the house. Thank you so much for continuing to show your support to the Draft Deeper podcast on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. While I was gone, I can say confidently after listening back that Stephen Gillespie and Maxwell Baumbach did an incredible job doing two episodes of the podcast while I was gone as I was doing a few big boy things, right? A few life things. I was moving into my new house and I am here. The setup is fantastic. I'm excited to be recording this first podcast episode in my new home. It's very quiet. I'm focused. I'm locked in. I don't have the TV in the background anymore. Having the NFL game on, I'm I'm 150% (laughs) focused on this podcast tonight, gentlemen. Stephen, it might be a bad thing. It no, I I think I think it's going to be a good thing. Maybe maybe I'll be a little too focused to where I I pick up on something small you say, and we end up having a 20 minute dialogue about something we probably shouldn't waste that much time on. But nevertheless, (laughs) Stephen, how you doing, my friend? Man, I'm awesome. It's uh, been a great Sunday. Um, sent my wife and two oldest kids to go see the new Avatar movie. So I get to do something fun on the back end. That's how marriage works. So um, it's just, I'm glad to be here on the podcast, man. I'm glad all three of us are, are on the show. It's been a while since we've had the big three assembled. And I'm just excited for the show topic that we have uh, planned for tonight. Well, we have we have one hell of a show topic because... As you said on social media, Stephen, we, we got to do it big. When, when all three of us finally get back together, we got to come in for some heat. And that's yeah. why, Maxwell, we're doing a big board episode tonight. Are you are you hyped for, for big are. board discussion? I, I am. I am. a. I, you know, I used to be like a constant big board tinkerer. And I think that was like one of the big things I changed just from a process standpoint from last year to this year. It's like I try not to sweat the rankings too much like. I just want to keep a general idea of like, who do I need to watch? Who don't I need to watch? Um, and then every time I do one of these, I do them and I go back in a tinker mode. And it's like, oh man, I should have moved this guy a couple <laughs> spots up, a couple spots down, whatever. But yeah, I I think it's really interesting. I'd be interested to hear kind of where we differ and also like where we're drawing tiers in this draft. Because I mm. feel like really confident at the, at the guys I have at the top. And then the further and further we go down, like, I just don't have a lot of confidence in a ton of guys yet. And I think that's very normal for this point in the season. I don't think that's uncommon, but. And Ma- it's Maxwell, a- this, this board is really your fault. And I'm sure Nathan's going to, you know, elaborate on the backstory, but the way that this big board broke down, I'm yeah. blaming Maxwell. Yeah. So there was, and I'm going to just recommend everybody read this. Adam Finkelstein wrote a really good piece for 24 seven sports about all the guys that were first round picks that were not considered to be first round picks are not mocked in the first round by like the major sites a year ago. So I'm, I'm, I'm sure one of you out there is listening and say, like, I had Tari Eason. I had Tari Eason first round in December. And like, look, I'm sure you did. Nobody's saying you didn't, uh, but the major sites didn't. So he just went through and said like, Hey, here, here's what they looked like at the time. Here's maybe why people weren't on board with them yet. And here's where they ended up. Um, and it was really interesting because guys like Walker Kessler, Tari Eason, Jalen Williams were really far out of that first round picture and just reading that, I was like, you know what? Like, it doesn't it doesn't matter if we're wrong at this point in the year. As long as, like, I'm feeling as good as I can about it and the thought process and the logic and the just the whole process of it makes sense, then, yeah, I'm, like, I'm willing to make some gambles on my December big board. And, and that's what I did. There are a couple guys that I moved up 
uh, pretty high. There are a couple guys that I moved down kind of low just because I'm not super excited about them. Uh, and those are the kind of guys I kind of wish maybe I could, you know, maybe I should have had Jalen Wilson a little higher, like those kind of guys. But um, yeah, like there's some guys I'm just ready to bet on at this point, because why, why not? Max, I'm going to be perfectly honest. I thought your board was actually pretty reasonable. Steven, yeah, on I don't the other think hand, I'm, I am not going to let Steven get away with Come blaming on. Maxwell for absolutely bringing some wreckage to this big board exercise where you're Steven, you're going to have to defend yourself on a ready. Trust me. And even though, as Maxwell eloquently pointed out, we should not obsess about the number at this point mm-hmm. in the year. It's it's December. I really truthfully do not put out what I consider to be a full, complete big board until like January, right? My, mm-hmm. my evaluations mm-hmm. are still a little rough around the edges. I think I've watched the majority of prospects that I would want to grade at this point, but I haven't watched nearly as much of them as I would like to, even up to this mm-hmm. point. And really, I don't know about you guys, but the week in between like Christmas and New Year's, I always have this really nice long stretch of time off work, which is when I really sit down and dig into some games that I just didn't get a chance to watch because mm-hmm. I, I try and balance watching as much college action as I can, but I'm not always able to watch some of the international tape that I want to. Now we have the the Overtime Elite film, which is primarily housed on Amazon Prime, which congratulations, Overtime Elite. You got me to subscribe to Amazon Prime to watch there the you go. Twins and everybody else in these high school classes. So I got to catch up on a few more of their games that I would have wanted to watch up to this point. And it's just, you're trying to balance all these different leagues. And then, oh, by the way, I also find it important to watch the NBA, not just because I'm covering the rookies for no ceiling, but really, as Maxwell and I talked about off air, it's really easy to fall into this trap of you watch not only some of the top prospects, but some of these guys who you find like giving second round grades to, or maybe you're trying to fill out the top 100. You watch so many of those guys. Sometimes you forget about just how good and how high the bar needs to be for the level they're going up to to where Mm -hmm. you need to remind yourself, what does the NBA game actually look like? What are the trends? What are the things that are working and are not working at that next level to where we need to adjust our evaluation some? So it's it's really important to balance all of the basketball consumption, which is why I'm going to take some of this time from December 23rd all the way through to the new year. I'm going to take that very seriously for what I do on my next big board. I I just put it out there right now, guys, don't be shocked if – you're talking to me on January 2nd. I'm either like much higher on a prospect than I was even from the conversations we're having tonight or much lower on a prospect. There, There's plenty of time for a lot of this to change, and I think that's where we all are. We're not going to be sweating too much over our valuations and our big boards right now. But, yeah, Steven, you got to defend yourself on a few of these. But we'll, we'll, we'll get to it. We'll, we'll, we'll get to it. So I'm the crazy one. That Steven – Steven's the crazy one tonight. Yes, but but it's it's all good. We still love Steven. And honestly, I, I'll give you a little bit of praise really quick before we start this podcast. Steven, you've been doing an incredible job of, like Maxwell, bringing new names to the table in our No Ceilings group chat. And you've been on an absolute film grind, an absolute film tear. And I love that you're, you're discovering new players, but also trying to balance your evaluations and really compare and contrast different types of prospects I think your statistical analysis has been so much more improved th- than it was last year. So I, I quite literally am seeing you take different steps as a scout, just watching you from afar. So I'm really glad that you're here with Maxwell and I tonight on Draft Deeper, as you always are. But 
I think you're really going to add some good points to the discussion tonight. So I'm, I'm excited to see where this goes. So we can start at the top. So how we're going to structure this podcast is we're going to go through our composite draft deeper big boards. So that's all three of our boards combined into one. We will run through one through 60. We're not going to spend time talking about every single prospect in this one through 60 at length. We'll definitely stop and pause and, and hit on a few quote unquote talking points that we want to discuss both from interesting prospect storylines, as well as I was in New York city yesterday, the day before we're recording this podcast at the CBS sports classic. Maxwell was also boots on the ground down in Chicago. So the both of us got to see a good number of prospects. And then Steven was, I was in Kingsland, Georgia. So (laughs) just just doing nothing. No, but you, you were, you were getting to watch a lot of the big games at home that I unfortunately still have to catch up on. Like I, I did not see the, the Brandon Miller explosion yesterday. I I caught, I caught some of Tennessee, Arizona, which is really fun talking about guys like Azulas Tubelas and Omar Ballo and, I still have a lot to catch up on. So you got to see some of those games. So we're bringing three different perspectives from the mega day that was college hoop. So I'm really excited to get into some of that, but we'll go through one to 60. We'll start at the top. I don't want to spend too much time on the top two guys, Victor Wembanyama and Scoot Henderson, just because who? I think we're planning. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Steven says uh-huh. who I think we are planning to have an episode right as we get into the new year. We're going to go in depth a little more with those guys, but they're also, we, we know they're the top two prospects at this point, right? Like there hasn't been too many cases to challenge those two guys at the top. And we love with it being draft deeper. We like talking about a lot of the guys who fall below the top ranks, right? Like we, we want to go into deeper into the lottery. We want to go back into the first round into the second round. So that's where we'll spend more of this time, but just, one talking point, one very quick talking point, though, Stephen, mm-hmm. you did flip flop those top two guys on your board. You started out yeah. the year with Scoot Henderson number one on your board and Victor number two. Now you flipped it to where we all ranked Victor number one. So was there was there any one thing in particular that finally led you to make the switch? Is it is it just that Scoot Henderson hasn't been playing for Ignite recently? Is it? more of what you've seen from Victor. Why did you make the switch as we head into Big Board 2.0? Peer pressure. Everybody's saying that anyone <laughs> other than Victor Wimbenyama being listed number one is just trying to be the smartest guy in the room. No, I'm just kidding. Um, man, listen, in all honesty, there was there was always the possibility for me that Wimby was going to take the lead, right? And it's not sure. that Scoot is hurt. It's, it's not any of that. It's just that the consistency that we're seeing – Victor Wimbenyama have doing just the hysterical things that he was doing early in the year, right? Like to me, it was just a consistency, um, seeing him consistently on the floor, big thing for a lot of people, you know, for the injury concern and, and things like that, playing tough competition. Um, even, even in poor outings, there's a lot of things that you can take away and glean off of and, uh, see where, where that's going to translate at the next level. Um, still have the whole concern like who's going to help the team more right because I think that that to me was a big part of why I like Scoot is because I think that he is a team floor raiser whereas Vic is just like a input like a star implant and then like you're just going to have to consistently build a roster around him to complement him right so there's a there's a little bit of a that in my evaluation on why I like Scoot more but ultimately, man, like it's it's hard to deny the blue alien from Space Jam. Like he's just he's phenomenal. 
Well, I feel like with Victor too, like his, like we talked about the consistency. He's been really consistent, but his yeah. worst games feel like games that would have still netted him the number one pick. Like yeah. I watched the game against Paris where like one for five from three bad foul trouble only ends up with 11 points and five boards, but like six blocks two steal still like yeah. he's still like just hitting more and more impressive shots. He's finding open guys quicker. And like the Paris game was like his worst game of the season. And I think mm-hmm. if you'd saw, if you'd seen that same game going into the year, you'd, you'd still just be like, Oh man, like he's improved with his physicality. He's willing to deal with more. He's, being more creative about how he gets to his spot. Like it, it's still all stuff that like is ahead so far ahead of what he'd shown the year before that like just on top of being probably the most dominant player that league has ever seen. Like, yeah. Anchoring so one of the best defenses in the league. Yeah. 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 And, and, and like I said, we're going to dive more into the both of them specifically and really break down more parts of their game. But I think the one thing that's important for audiences to keep in mind, you both share the sentiment. Victor's impacting winning in a way mm-hmm. that I don't think we quite expected from d- despite him being this, this really, really, really awesome prospect. Not all of these overseas guys impact winning in the way that we're seeing from a Victor Wobanyama. We have to go back to Luka Doncic, right? Like Luka was not just putting up numbers overseas. He was quite literally the impacting winning. He yeah. was helping a team win its championship. And we're probably going to see the same thing from Victor Womanyama. So that that's really what I think has helped him not, not only obviously capture the number one spot, but really put such a vice grips on it to where we're not just talking about how he's the seven foot five alien who can make threes and, and also protect the rim. But we're talking about him in a way where he's, he's quite literally the best prospect in the field because his team is one of the better teams that we can find in this field. And it's because of him. It's 100% because of him and what he's doing on a night-to-night consistent, as Steven said, that was a good word, basis. So, And I think to just to touch on the Luka point real quick, too, because like Luka was obviously like hyper-productive, playing against exceptional competition, better competition than Vic's playing. Uh, but the thing with like sure. Luka that ended up being wrong was a lot of people would be like, oh, but like the, hey, athletically, like he's fine. Like The big yeah. comp I remember hearing a lot was Gordon Hayward, where it's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, no, like he'll, he'll be like that. He'll be like that. And it's like, well, with Victor, like, there are all these just crazy outlier physical tools that are present on top of that. So it's like, we know there's the skill and then there's this outlier frame movement ability, everything else. So. And then, and then scoot he's, he's had the injury bug. He, he really hasn't been playing too much of late for G league ignite, but yeah. I'm, I'm still not concerned. Everything, all the tape that we do have dating back to last year, yeah. dating back to when I actually got to see him in person for an evaluation that everything still stands. I, I love scoot Henderson. I think he's going to be, quite the quote-unquote consolation prize for an no NBA reason for him to try to tough it out you know it, it, exactly it's it, yeah I, i've seen that on on social media is he trying to protect his draft stock some like like maybe maybe but at the end of but, the day who can blame him right but also like protect it it's like who's taking it like realistically like i, I don't know i mean i'm sure there are people that would say amen thompson could or whoever but like Come on. You know how it is when we don't see someone. He's, for a long he's time, protecting right? his body more than like his draft stock, in yeah. my opinion, which, hey, great. Like, look, look at Anthony Davis. Like, he just had another injury. And it's like, not that it's like Anthony Davis should have shut it down to college or anything like that, but like, your, your body doesn't always cooperate and no. take the time. There's no reason to push yourself physically in that way at this stage in your career when you still have a lot of money to make. 
So. And who would have thought that we would be having this conversation about Scoot instead of Wimby? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, yeah that's pretty ironic. Be surprised. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Maxwell, that was in some ways a great segue to where this conversation needs to go next when we talk about who could possibly challenge for that number two spot, right? Who could possibly challenge Victor and Scoot near the top of the draft? And to me, as well as by our consensus big board, there's three names that really come to mind. So there's Cam Whitmore, who is number three on our consensus big board. And then there's a man in Asar Thompson, right? Both of the Thompson twins to me, I would rank them ahead of Cam Whitmore right now as they fall on my board. I've actually moved Asar up past a man for that mm. number three spot. And then I have a man number four and Cam Whitmore number five. Steven, you do have Cam Whitmore number three. And, and there was a time where you were sort of trying to flirt with Cam maybe as the number two prospect in this yep. draft class. I think he settled in for you pretty comfortably at number three. And now we've gotten to see him play basketball in Villanova. By the way, another guy who, even when he's having some off days, right, coming back and, and really trying to get his legs under him, he's impacting winning. This Villanova team is undefeated with him in the lineup. So, Steven, since you are – I guess the most Cam Whitmore resident on this podcast, the, the guy who's most in on him. Why, why don't you talk about why you have him at number three, why that opinion really hasn't changed of what you've seen from him in some of these games for Villanova? Well, yeah. I mean, considering that he came off of an injury, granted it was on his hand, it wasn't like a lower body injury or anything like that. Like nothing like Derek Whitehead is having to kind of work his way back into shape mm-hmm. from, um, just also taking into consideration context like play style for Villanova, the, you know, rotation management, things like that. You know, Coach Neptune is still really learning the game right now. And, and we saw that before Cam was even there. Um, He really bolstered the way that this team's played, like went on a nice little win streak Um, as soon as he touched the court, you know, starting with that victory in Oklahoma. Uh, just there's so much power and finesse and grace um skill is right there I'm really been surprised on how impactful he has been on the defensive end um, which was not something that I thought I was going to be saying at this point in the season especially coming in off of an injury but the offense is there too right like the stuff that he's doing off of the bounce um shot isn't really all right there which was something that I kind of like pre-baked into my evaluation coming into the season and I think that he's showing a little bit um from from the shooting perspective that there is enough to be excited about. Like the, the shooting motion doesn't look crazy. Um, it looks like there's a lot that he can kind of build upon there. And I, I just like his ability to get to his spots. And that's something that you want to see from a guy of his uh, size and frame and skill set. Um, someone who can kind of do it at multiple levels. And I think that he does have that potential. I thought so before the year. And again, contextually, like he's on an offense that has, you know, Daniels and Dixon and Slater, like guys who are going to, when they touch the ball, they're going to hold on to the ball. And we, we started to see that in that different moments. Like, it's almost like they try to ice them out of the game. Mm-hmm. But in, in all honesty, like, there hasn't been much that I've seen that really has swayed me. And I haven't seen enough from other people that I'm just, like, ready, like, heart attack ready to move them up to, to jump them yet. One of the things I wrote about in the morning dunk when I covered Cam Whitmore's debut, and I understand, I, I probably wrote, far too many words than I necessarily needed to off just one game. But the biggest thing Maxwell that stood out for me about Cam was 
he's, as I said, he's still getting his legs underneath him. And I think mm-hmm. once he gets into more of that quote unquote game shape, I think the next development in his game is going to be balancing the three point shot versus getting downhill. And when he's able to leverage more of his physicality, when he's able to get a cleaner step on defenders on a more consistent basis, and he draws all of that contact around the basket when he gets to live near the free throw line, he's going to start to pile up points in a very similar way that we saw Paolo Bencaro last year, right? When Paolo really started mm-hmm. to lean into more of his game inside the arc and focus more on that front, he became such an incredibly dangerous offensive weapon. And I think that's more of what we need to see from Cam Whitmore, settle less for the jump shot, get more inside the arc. I'm, I'm assuming you would agree with that sentiment. Yeah, I, I would, but I also don't think it's the worst thing in the world. Um, sorry, you might hear my daughter a little bit in the background for a second. Um, Matt, Maxwell, Maxwell's got to be a dad during the podcast. Yeah, but, that, um, that but yeah, it's stuff. fine. Uh, my, my wife's doing all the work, so big shots <laughs> to Christina. Um, so with Whitmore and the three-point shooting, I am encouraged that he's taking them, right? Like, Nathan, I know you've also watched a lot of Sixers games over the years. It's really important to maintain that gravity and shoot yes. threes when, when people leave you wide open. So um i i appreciate it obviously you know do i want kim with more taking more threes than twos on a game-by-game basis absolutely not and i think that to your point i i do think it is injury related i think once he's kind of got his feet under him more um that'll turn around and i also think defensively too he can be a little heavier at times than he looked before the year um so that'll that'll change too um the other thing i think we're gonna see with him as well is like he is averaging like 0.5 assists per game. And I think he's a much better interior passer than he's gotten to show. So mm-hmm. I think that's the other thing is like, if you're holding out on cam right now, because you're wanting to see more as a playmaker, I do think that's going to come when he starts to attack more. Um, but when he is attacking, he's very consistent. He's 66.7% on twos right now. Um, he's been 80% from the free throw line as well. Like I, I think I bought the shot a little bit more than some people did coming into the year. I still think he ultimately ends up at least being okay from three-point range. I love his downhill game. I am I still think that interior passing is going to pop up on the film this year. Uh, yeah, like I, I, I have no reason to... I haven't seen anything that's made me like doubt liking Cam Whitmore as a top five prospect. Um, is, is he pretty comfortably the best player in college basketball? Well, not best player. I should say best prospect in college basketball I think so. for you. I, I think so. Um, but again, it is December. Like I'm not saying... Sure. Like, yeah, I think a lot of people make hard and fast rules too early uh, in the process on this kind of thing. I think we see it all the time. But um, yeah, for, for my money right now, like he's the college prospect I feel the best about long term. I would agree 100%. So I think we're all pretty aligned with our thoughts on Cam Whitmore. You you touched on the the free throw shooting of Maxwell. That That's why I want him to, to be able to get downhill more and show some of yeah. that aggression around the basket. Because if, that's, if that, that's one of those ways that you can really pile up points in a hurry in a much more efficient manner than settling for some of those long twos or settling for some of those threes. When, you know, I might be able to get a much better shot. If I just take that extra step, that extra one or two dribbles to get inside the arc and be able to either pull up, get in the paint, get two feet in the paint, go up for the floater or draw that contact to get to the free throw line. But all in all, I do agree with the, both of you guys. I think he's going to be a three level scorer eventually in the NBA. I'm pretty confident in everything that I've seen from him. And for my money right now, it is early, like Maxwell said. He's the best prospect in college basketball for me. 
but he's not that number three guy for me. Sore Thompson is that number three guy. And it's, it's really funny because Maxwell, I think Maxwell still has a man. Number I think three I'm like on the only a man holdout at no ceilings. Like am I the, I think I might be one of the only ones that him at three. I felt pretty strongly about having a man number three, but what I actually got to watch, and, and again, I, I haven't been able to watch a ton of overtime elite this year, but I have gotten a few more full games under my belt other than what I saw up close and first when I was down in Atlanta. But from, from the tape that I've seen, Asor is much more confident. We're seeing much more of the passing creativity than I think I, I'd certainly expected we'd see up to this point. He's been a really good rebounder. He's been a more active defender than a man, which is, again, that's surprising to say because a man in some of these preseason games that we saw when they went and, and did some of their, their overseas exhibitions, he was the active playmaker on defense. He was the guy who was piling, piling up anywhere from four to seven combined steals and blocks in, in some of those games, right? And we're seeing more of that from a sword. You you look at their numbers, the, the statistics, the season statistics that Overtime Elite has listed on their websites. I mean, there, there really isn't much of anything that a man is beating a sore in, right? He's, mm-hmm. he's a, He's been a better two-point scorer by the percentages, but other than that, yeah. a, a source shown much more of a complete scoring game. We're seeing more of the passing. We're seeing more of the defense. I just feel much more confident in his evaluation right th- right now compared to a man, especially when you know a man's not answering any of the shooting questions that, that we all thought, and yeah. that that's the biggest thing. That's the main difference, and even though a sore has taken a little bit of a step back with his three point shot. He's sitting at about 33% now, as opposed to like a week or two ago, he was up near 40%. Mm-hmm. He's still at that average mark, and the shot looks much more cleaner than it did in years past. So I'm buying into what I'm seeing from him over a man. But this is one of those points Stephen might have to defend himself a little bit. So Stephen actually has a sore down at number 11. And I'm not, I'm not picking on you. For, for for this one, Stephen, you, yeah, you're yeah. going to know when I'm picking on you a little later in this podcast. But I, yeah. from from what you've been able to see from both of the Thompson twins, I think you're still fairly confident and fairly in on a man. But what maybe what haven't you seen from a sore? What more do you want to see from him to kind of bring him up into that top ten and higher than that eleven spot than you have him right now on your board? Yeah, and so just to kind of um, contextualize this and lay it out for the for the listener, you know, we have Victor, Scoot, Cam, Amin, and Asar. Like that's mm-hmm. our consensus, our consensus top five. So for Asar, you know, looking at our last board compared to this one, Asar took a, a big leap by you, Nathan. Like you had, I think the the biggest leap out of everybody, massively. But, but Maxwell and I both did move him up, you know, and it was by three, which at the range that we both had him. Pretty side, like I think, I don't know how you feel, Maxwell. Like to me, that's like a significant jump to go from like fourteen to eleven. Yeah, I have them in the same tier as I do from like players three through about twelve or thirteen. Like this tier okay. is like oddly wide. So I could talk them up. I think right now to like maybe seventh at the highest. But I mean, like I just have players like one through seven that I have. I think have the potential right now to maybe be the guy on their team players eight through 13 who I all have in the same tier. I just don't think that they do right. Like Jairus Walker, like has the ability to be like a really crazy archetype, right. To be like a playmaking four who can 
like be an offensive hub, so to speak, by just passing the ball, rebounding, and being like a hellacious defender, right? Um, players like Gigi Jackson, I think, who I have ranked ahead of him just by like one spot. Um, it's mainly because I don't know what his role is going to be, but I don't look at that as a negative because of all like the creative things that he's showing on the offensive side of the ball. There's other players too. Like I'm still kind of waiting and seeing what I want to do with Dorit because I know he's coming in off of injury. And like when you got a guy who's got a lower body injury, even, it, even one year might be too soon before you like start formulating an opinion. Like typically speaking, especially like in the NBA, what we see is like players don't really round out to form coming off of a lower body injury until like year two. Right. So I don't want to ding him too much if it's anything that I think is process related. Like if it's something physically, I'm kind of like baking in the injury into the equation. Right. So I have him at 11. Like I said, I could, I could be talked up so much, but I don't look at him as like as a potential primary on an offense or anything like that, which really kind of puts a little bit of a cap on him, at least right now I could be wrong. That's that's probably where we differ and that you may very well change your tune on that to the point where maybe you don't bring them up as high as I do around like that, mm -hmm. that top three range, but maybe you do bring them up into that upper tier of the lottery conversation at some point. And really, I guess the last point before I, I kick it to Max, we'll see if you wanted to add anything else to the dialogue around his top five. I guess for me, it's more so I would much rather bet on either of the Thompson twins right now than the majority of these prospects we're seeing in college. And that, that to me is really the thing. And I get it. The Thompson twins are playing in a quote unquote high school league. They're not playing up to college competition as some of these other prospects are, but and they're older and they are older, but they are dominating that league in the way that I think we wanted to see them dominate. And that still speaks to me, right? The city Reapers are undefeated in the overtime yeah. elite league right now. And it's, because of those two in large part because of those two and what they're doing on a consistent basis, even when they're not shooting the ball as well as we would like them to from the field, they're doing every single other thing within the flow of the game to impact winning. And I think that's a phrase that you're going to keep hearing over the course of this podcast. It's not just about putting up certain stats. It's not, only about showcasing one or two skills that we want to see translate right away, but also what are you going to do in your worst games to help your team ultimately win games? And that's, that's what I'm seeing from both of the Thompson twins, which is why I would just rather take bets on them, honestly, at this point over a number of prospects that we can talk about in the later portions of this lottery. But that's, that's also not to knock this draft class though, either. Yeah. I'm still really high on who I have in the lottery, right? There are some really, fun and interesting prospects that teams can still make bets on. And I may still end up coming up higher on some of these guys. We get into January, February, March, right now, our, our evaluations, mm -hmm. as we keep saying, they're not set in stone right now. Everything can change. It's only December. Maxwell, any other thoughts before we move on past the top five? Uh, no, I just want to say one thing I know that Steve and I differ on too, is like, I have, more of a clear cut tier at this point. Like for me, it's like the Victor tier, the Scoot tier. And then I would put the Thompsons and Cam in a third tier. Just because like okay. those are the guys I'm the I, same way. I would like to bet on. So yeah, like I I'm just on that same page there. We're like I, I think between outlier tools, processing ability, and just production, those are the three guys where I'm like, I 
those are like the home run swings where I'm like, I, I cannot allow myself to take a swing for anything else. If those guys are still around and that could change. Like a man is a men's really got to start putting the ball in the basket. I, I held off on a sore because I'm still just kind of back in wait and see mode with shot. He had that game where he was like over four from three and over for five from the free throw line. And that like kind of put the fear into me a little bit. Sure. I was like ready to jump him up. Uh, they're all still in a tier, but yeah, after that is where I, I start to, I don't want to say lose confidence, but I'm I'm a little more unsure of order. Um, and then I think after like 15-ish for me, it starts to, to do that again. But I feel the same way from a tier perspective, Maxwell, though I will say our guy who is number six on our mm-hmm. consensus board, Nick Smith at Arkansas. Man, is he coming? And I absolutely love what I've seen from him since he's yep. been able to crack the Arkansas lineup. It's not just what he can do on the ball, but really his creativity and his dynamic play off of the ball has really impressed me because it just goes to show he's one of these six foot five guards. He's more of a combo guard in the mold of like a Bradley Beal, but he's, he's playing up to that type of comparison. And it's really been interesting to watch. I think he's one of those complimentary guards that could fit in a variety of lineups, something that I think and he defends and he defends it's, it's the, he's the type of player along with another name who we'll get to in a second these are the types of guards that NBA teams are looking for. We have Brandon Miller, number seven. And then as alluded to Keontae Georgia, number eight, who Steven's still higher on. Steven still has a top five grade on Keontae, but Nick I'm Smith and Keontae, Keontae as well. What'd you say, Maxwell? And I'm, and I'm lower on Keontae, which is part of the reason that he kind of landed where he did is I, I do have him a bit lower than everybody else here at no ceilings, but not by a lot. I still like him. Sure, you have him in number 13, but either way, mm-hmm. he's still a lottery prospect for you. But those those two guards, right? Those are two guards the, the NBA is is always looking for, as well as number nine. When we talk about Anthony Black, the, the other fellow backcourt mate at, at Arkansas, Anthony Black has been massively impressive to my eye. Um, I, I know that he has quite a few fans in the draft committee. I know Sam Vecini has him as possibly a challenger for the number three overall pick. Like there's, there's been plenty of positive discussion. Maxwell wrote an incredible piece about Anthony Black over at the prospect overview. If you haven't read that, no stones, NBA.com. Make sure you check that out as well as some of what I wrote about Brandon Miller. Cause he, I've been up and down with him, but especially after this game that he had yesterday, I think he's kind of has to be in that top seven, top eight conversation or possibly higher. There were some people who, jumped him up into that three through five range. And while I thought at that time that was a little overreactionary to just a few games, if he continues to pile up those performances, it's going to be more of the norm. And therefore maybe I do need to reconsider where I have him right now. I have him at number nine on my board. Maybe I need to move him up closer to where we have him consensus or maybe even a little higher than that. Only time will tell. And then to round out our top 10, is Jairus Walker, who has certainly gotten positive and negative buzz over the last few weeks. But I think either way for me, and I know I, we're, I know Maxwell is 12 right now. He has Jairus Walker number 12 on his board. Steven and I have him inside the top 10. Regardless of how you want to break down his offensive game, I think if you watch Jairus Walker play defense, to me, that's what a top 10 pick looks like. Every yeah. other thing he's bringing to the table from other than what he's doing from a scoring standpoint that's what I want to see out of a top 10, more of a complimentary pick who just fits the modern NBA so well, especially if more of those jump shots are falling like they were in Houston's game against Virginia yesterday. That was that was a big win for Houston. 
All right, so we get outside the top 10. Our 11th prospect on our consensus board is Gigi Jackson. Then we have Dariq Whitehead at number 12. He is the one guy who fell out of our top five from the first time we did this exercise. He was supplanted by Asore Thompson. Then we have Cason Wallace at number 13, who, by the way, I, I saw him in New York yesterday. He, he did nothing to really sell me on him being higher on my board, which – he he's a fascinating. I love him. I do too. I, I, love I him just, too. I'm the high man on him. I had so, him nine. So it, I love him too. But that's a very loose tier. I should qualify because, like, in like you and having Jerry, yeah, you have 12, him ten or ten. Okay, you, yeah. yeah. I was gonna say that tier is like a mess for me. Like, I change yeah. my opinion about these guys every single day. Still at this point, um, not like about what they're capable of and not, but just like projecting out how I see them. Um, with the sample being as small as it is and. Yeah. He has a lot of different skills. So for, first of all, I none of us would have any bad things to say about his defense or what I'm no, sure no, no, a lot no. of other evaluators, but from an offensive perspective, he has all of the tools in his bag that you want to see from an NBA guard. But the problem is he's a little too passive at times. And I think that that comes back to his demeanor. And you, I, I see it up close in person. He's just a very calm, relaxed guy. He seems like an incredibly polite person. Like if we had him on our podcast for an interview, I'm sure he'd be like one of the top five nicest players that we we could ever talk to. I think that certainly comes back to bite him at times because then when he feels the need that he has to turn it on, he has to be more aggressive. Then he sort of goes into this mode that maybe he's not always picking the right spots, right? Maybe he's pressuring himself a little bit too much to get over involved in a way to where we might want to see him from the jump. When he comes out of the gate and he's aggressive and he's hunting his own shot, he looks great doing it. He got off to a quick start in that game yesterday against UCLA. Then he went dormant a little bit. And then when he tried to get it going in the second half and really hunt for his shot more, he wasn't taking the best quality of shots. And ultimately he finished, I believe, two of 12 from the floor. And he just, he, he didn't look great doing so. He didn't look comfortable out there. And that's, I, I it's not just that game seeing him up close and personal. I've seen that from him in multiple games now to where we we've kind of come back and we're, we're kind of asking ourselves, yeah, he might be one of the best complimentary guards that we have in this draft. But if we're taking him inside like the top 10, for example, where, where does he fall from a ceiling perspective? Right. And, and I, again, it's, it's not anything that has to do, I think with his skill, because we've seen him, I've seen him make, every shot in the book that I'd want him to. I've seen him make a lot of the basic reads that I'd want him to out of pick and roll and in other certain passing situations. I think he's got to find that balance and he's one of these prospects. I definitely want to evaluate more of him in the second half of the year as opposed to leaning too hard in a crutch for the first half of the year. And we'll see where he lands on, on future boards. And then, I also hate Kentucky, like not because I'm a Razorback yeah. fan or anything. Oh, they're a like bad that. team. I genuinely yeah. hate the way that that team is 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 being it's, run. That is one of like the biggest things that I think has worked in his favor. So we made this board before the last game. So the stinker against UCLA was not something that was in in the universe at the time that we made that board. Um, yeah, I mean, just from a spacing perspective, it's like you can have Antonio Reeves and he can chuck shots, but like not much else and it's like cj frederick does that too and like he's not even doing a very good job but see cj's like he's being like on the floor because he's not playing the defense the cow wants him exactly play, so. so like it just livingston just had his like it seemed like he had his debut the other night right like he like yeah. finally showed life as a prospect and i just i 
as an evaluator, I, I genuinely don't like watching Kentucky basketball because it's going to make me earn my, my quote unquote paycheck as an evaluator. You know what I mean? Like there's That's nothing like Gonzaga this cut year. and dry. Yeah. Yeah. Like I feel like there's just certain teams where it's like, I need to give myself like a couple days off from like yeah. watching this team because like, it just like what should be happening and what is happening is so far apart that like incredibly I, frustrating. It, yeah. It, it clouds clouds your judgment to a degree, but the spacing situation is rough. Jacob Toppin has not hit shots. Shibuya is not taking threes probably nor should he severe wheeler is severe wheeler he's like punching above his weight as a shooter right now too like mm. it's just not a great fit but this is what this is what he signed up for so we've, we've got to judge him based on that too we do and and again I, th- I think the second half of the year will be more telling than than the first half that seems to be a common theme among kentucky guards period right the second half always seems to be a different story than the first half so i'm in a i'm gonna wait and see approach mm-hmm. with case and wallace but rounding out our lottery conversation we get to two wing prospects where i did mm. want to stop and have a little bit of a discussion we have jet howard at number 14 by our consensus board and we have maxwell lewis at number 15 the pepperdine wing Two players, I think the both of them could certainly be lottery grades, so it's very fitting that we have them back-to-back on our personal boards. I want to hear from you guys why you would have either of them ranked ahead of the other because I think it's a really good conversation to have in the draft community right now when we want to talk about two-way wings or, or bigger wings with offensive upside. These are the types of players that draft Twitter wants to gravitate towards. Maxwell, I'll start with you. Jed Howard, Maxwell Lewis. I, I know it's it's like asking you to yeah. pick between two of your favorite sons. I, I get it. That's how it is for all of us. But which one are you higher on right now and why? Yeah, so I'm how I'm higher on Jed um by quite a bit. So I'm gonna do a little bit of a spoiler for my column this week. Jed Howard's being added to the expanding big board at number nine. <laughs> it is it is a spicy take and we are now entering the, the the territory where like like i mentioned like this tier is is very wishy-washy for me i'd even say after eight it like gets a lot murkier for me personally i think that jet howard is a better athlete than he gets credit for i think just from like a movement verticality perspective like whichever way you want to talk northwest east you know north north south east west side to side up down i think he's a better athlete than he gets credit for i also believe that it's six eight is a dribble a true dribble pass shoot wing that is his age is very hard to look past this kid is playing high level competition he's averaging a very efficient 15.5 points per game 40 yep. percent from three 62.8 on twos uh averaging 2.5 assists to one turnover like there are guards that are one and done that don't have that kind of assist to turnover ratio. Yeah. Jet Howard has a flamethrower from long range and he's six foot eight and he's doing that. And he has footwork to get to his spots. He has an in-between game. He has a floater. He's got mid-range pull-ups. He is a problem when he's chased off the line already. It's six, eight it, it is a one and done. Um, now let's talk about the, the not so good stuff with Jet Howard. Can you explain to me why he doesn't, or he seems allergic to getting rebounds. Can, can uh, you just explain that? So we're we're defending. Okay. So I think we're kind of misdiagnosing him a little bit here when you're saying he's allergic to rebounds. I think he can be allergic to the ball in general on defense. Is There was a play the other day <laughs> where the ball literally hit him in the back 
on defense <laughs> and he like did not get the steal. So he has some real, there is some real defensive woes. I think he puts it together. Cause I think he's a smart kid. I think he's a smart player. He has the pro pedigree and I think he's going to want to like be a good defender. Like, I think that's just like part of who he is. I think he's going to want it and get after it. Um, but yeah, he does not compete on the glass at all. Currently just stands and, and looks at, at the glass. That's a big problem. I acknowledge that's a big problem. It, it's why like, I'm not confident in this ranking at this point, even though I do think he's lottery because those offensive skills are so important. I think he's good on the ball. I like the on-ball defense stuff from him. The off-ball is like scary bad. Like, is there a place on the ball where guys will drive into him? He can stick with them. He can get off the floor quickly. So he swats their shot. Like he has these really good block numbers, but his steal numbers are really low because his off-ball defense is like what I call like one or the other off-ball defense. Mm-hmm. It is either I am watching the ball and I'm going to get back cut because I'm watching the ball or it's I am watching my man. And like in that game the other day, a ball literally hit him. The ball hit him and he did not get a steal because he was just completely glued to his man he has to find that balance and i think he will i i I think just based on what i've seen from him as a thinker on the offensive end i think the defense comes around but then the rebounding is very concerning the off-ball defense is very concerning um and those are things that could really hold him back but i think even if they do like with what we're seeing from him at his size and his athleticism at his age like that's still an NBA player, even if he's only good on the ball defensively. Like I, I still want that guy really bad on a team that I support. So that's that's my Jed Howard pitch. And Max Steven. Max Lewis also like love him to death. He's he's twenty, like he's a couple years older. So like you know he's twenty years old. He's gonna have to start drawing social security soon. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like he's is that how the Thompsons are? He's yeah yeah yeah. Oh. He's he's much more complete uh, as a rebounder. Uh, as a defender but I just think where he is as a passer and playmaker like I like he's made real significant strides in those areas I think Jet is a lot more reliable and I think that's just evident in like the very plain efficiency at turnover numbers against a better level of competition like I think Jet's just way ahead of him on that end so Stephen you you also have Jed Howard above Maxwell Lewis on your board. And I will, I guess I'm going to be the Maxwell Lewis apologist and, and I'll get to some of my thoughts. Oh, because I have them so far apart, Nathan. <laughs> but I, the, the one thing I will say in Jet's favor, again, here, here comes this phrase impacting winning, right? I, when, when Michigan's winning games, I can feel Jet Howard's impact, even though I'm not feeling it on the defensive end. We, yeah, there, there's, there's enough negative we can talk about with him defensively. I don't feel like we need to beat a dead horse. I think but... you can feel his impact on the defensive end. I think that's the problem. <laughs> From an offensive perspective, right, I feel the shots that he's making. They they are absolutely felt within the flow of the game. When he does get free to be able to make some dimes, because he's, he's not dropping five or six assists per game, but he's taking care of the ball. And then when he does make one of those dimes, there are some impressive passes that he can throw from a variety of different spots on the floor. Like his offense feels tailor-made to keep helping them win games. And I feel like ultimately to help an NBA team win games at the next level, the creativity he possesses, his ability to take care of the ball, a low mistake player. I do like a lot of what I've seen from Jed Howard. And that's why I have those guys back to back on, on my board, but what else do you want to say about Jet since you do, again, you have him above Maxwell Lewis? 
I have them, I have them back to back. I have them 16 and 17 on my board. Right. And I don't have a strong like opinion on both like how they're ranked against one another and where they're positioned on my board. I think Jed obviously like has more on ball equity as a creator. Right. And something that we don't typically get to see Max Lewis do. Um, and that's where I think I give um, Jet the edge offensively. Now, Max, I think, is a better defender, but a lot of that might just have to do with more experience, right? Like, that, it, it might be that, like, just seeing, like, more frequent, you know, level of competition. Um, but again, you know, Jet is just, like, they're both flamethrowers. So I think that both of their strengths right now on that end, like, they almost kind of cancel each other out. And then you just look and you see what Jet – what else he can do offensively. And that lends him, that lends him to being, um, you feel more comfortable at, with him being a connector on a team um, as someone who gets chased off the line where Max is showing that he's capable of that as well. I just don't think that he has the uh, ball skill right now that Jed does, which is why I have him ever so slightly ahead. I think Maxwell Lewis is a better play finisher right now than Jet Howard, but the creativity aspect that you just touched on, Stephen, yeah. and also what Maxwell was touching on, that that is a big separator for him, as well as the fact that he is a younger prospect. But Maxwell Lewis, I have him higher because he is scoring close to 18 points per game, six rebounds, yeah. almost three assists. Now, granted, two and a half turnovers, so he's not as good of a passer, in my opinion, that, that Jet Howard is. But, again, he's being asked to be more of a complimentary wing, fit almost 55% from the field. 46% from three-point range, 82% from the line. This man is an efficiency machine. And I mm-hmm. think when we look at the type of role he will play at the NBA level, he feels like he has a pretty safe floor for what the league is looking for. And I think Absolutely. that's why I've come around to Maxwell Lewis as being much higher on my board than I initially anticipated when we talked about ranking him during the preseason. I love a lot of what I've seen from him. The one drawback, the reason why I wouldn't have a lottery grade on him is when he went up against Jalen Clark in UCLA, He it's not that he had a bad shooting night technically by the percentages, but he was not able to get to the ball as often as we'd like him to see. And you touched on it, Stephen. He's not a one-on-one yeah. shot creator, right? Like we've seen examples of him hitting tough shots, but – he's not one of those guys who we're going to drop him on an NBA floor right now. And he's going to go and get his own shot. He's one of these guys, as I said, he's a play finisher. He needs to be set up. Jet mm-hmm. Howard, I think will eventually lean into more of those. I'm going to be able to create my own shot and there's going to be little that you can do about it because I am also a tough shot maker. I can also, you know, put my back to the basket, turn fade and knock down a tough shot over somebody. Um, I'm able to relocate off the ball catch it and then either make a quick decision to drive stop and pop get all the way to the rim or quick fire release right like there's more versatility to jet howard's shot making repertoire i think i'm just more drawn right now to maxwell lewis's efficiency on top of what i see from him from a defensive perspective and i think if jet howard shows more signs of life defensively he does move up quite a few spots on like the next edition of my board he gets closer to the top 10 conversation. And I think that's, that's where Maxwell is right now. Steven, it looked like you wanted to add one more thing on the conversation. I just had a light bulb and we don't have to dive in too deep of it, but just listen to the way that like all of us describe Jet Howard. Like, does he not kind of sound like Kevin Herter? You know what I mean? Like someone who can yeah, do. That, that, yeah. That's like kind yeah. of where I'm at. It's like, yeah. 
yeah i i just think like these guys play on good teams like these guys help winning guys that are are big and can shoot and know how to get places and see the floor like and i i think jet physically like there's a lot of upside to his defense if he can just like figure out how to look at two things at once so 16th on our board we have grady dick out of kansas 17 we're we're still all believing in in baba miller who has mm-hmm. yet to play a game at Florida State, but nevertheless, when he does take the floor, we still think we're going to see great things from him. At 18, we have Chris Murray out of Iowa. And at 19, we don't need to have a, a deep-dive discussion on Terquavion Smith from NC State, but Maxwell did get to see him yesterday up close and personal. So I'm just curious on some of what he saw, some of his takeaways, and if they've maybe influenced where he currently has him on his board at number 24, if we were doing this exercise, Maxwell, after your in-person trip, would you have him higher, lower, or about the same? Um, Probably about the same, maybe a little higher. Um, So he had a very good first half and a very bad second half. Um, Bad in that, like, the shot just wasn't falling for him. Um, But in the first half, like, it was just real evident that that dude is a pro like he the way that he moves um his quickness the amount of snap he has on his crossover how fast he is when he turns the corner um his deceleration his ability to hesitate and just like burst like it was those were so next level like those all looked so much more like a good nba player in those areas than a college player like it was not close um like seeing him uh and like a guy like Jalen Cook on the same night, it's mm. just like, oh, there are there are levels to this. Yeah. Game. And like you're killing my dreams about Jalen Cook. But I, know, I, I wanted to like him too. I've been really mean to Jalen Cook in, in the group chat. Like he just had he just had a rough game. Like no, I think you really gave a fair player. evaluation with what you told us, and not that we're about to dive into to Jalen Cook's game. No, and I, I'll call, call up the text right now. It'll I'm be in kidding. my column. Yeah, it'll be in my column Tuesday. Um but I, yeah, it was just like really evident. And I think that the defensive engagement has been a lot better this season. Yes. yes um, yes, I think yes, there is yes. like a very clear night and day difference on that end. It's, it, you know, it's still not great, but like I watched their game against Campbell early in the year and like he was still getting back cut. And I was just like, oh, geez, like if Campbell's back cutting, like what's going to happen? Like when you play these good teams, it's just not happening anymore. Um, yeah, like there are games where he goes cold. Um, but it still felt like down the stretch, it was a very close game they played against Vanderbilt. And down the stretch, I was still thinking in my head, like, I wish they were playing through Turquavion more and Jarkel Joyner less. Um, you could see him because this is the fan. A great thing about being in person is I could see his eyes, like when he's attacking the basket. And that dude is looking around. Like, he is not, it's not like happenstance that his assist numbers are up. This dude is truly like, reading the court and looking for options at all times. So I, I, I came away very affirmed. I know that um, the three point shot hasn't been what he wanted. He's finished inside better. He missed some kind of easy ish ones inside last night, but um, just what I saw from him athletically, the defensive stuff, how well he moves. Like he's just very clearly a pro. And I don't think I'm like, I, I would feel dirty slotting him like outside of the top 25 after what I saw yesterday. Cause I think he very clearly is an NBA player. Um, it just comes down like philosophically, who do I value more? And, and that that's exactly right. That's very well put. We all have him inside of our top 25. I think right now I'm the highest on him. I have him at 20. 
I mm. see him as a top 20 pick and he could possibly climb up even a little higher than that for me personally. But yeah, I'm in full agreement. I, I think when we evaluate some of the other talent in the landscape in comparison to not just what Turk has been able to do in two years, but also what his upside could be as a big time shot maker, these, this athletic speedy guard who can get his own look at, at literally any time he wants while also still showing more pick and roll passing upside and more mm -hmm. of the defense was that was the big thing that we all wanted to see from Quavion Smith this year. I'm happy that he's defending at not a perfect level for a guard, but certainly at a higher level than he was last year. So at number 20, we have Dylan Mitchell out of Texas at 21. This is, this is where the biggest conversation, my biggest beef with Steven is about to come up in this section of the board. And I'm just going to run through some names and then I will come to you, Steven. So at 21 okay. by consensus, we have Kello Ware out of Oregon. At 22, we have Kyle Filipowski out of Duke. At 23, we have his front court mate, Derek Lively at 23. And then 24, a brand new name has entered the fray for us inside our top 25. That would be Noah Clowney out mm -hmm. of Alabama, one of the more interesting prospects that I think we've been able to evaluate this year. I am I am floored with what I've seen over the last three weeks. Essentially, since we did our prior big board exercise up till now, he has had much more of an impact on both sides of the ball. And I am, I am enamored with what I've seen to the point where I really thought about possibly sticking a top 20 grade on him. I didn't yet. I do still want to see more. And I know that Steve would want to see more as well, giving where he slotted him on his board, but he did add Noah Clowney to the board. Nevertheless, we all did. I really love what I've seen from him, but this discussion comes to the big man. So when we say big men, we're talking about where we're talking about lively. We can put Filipowski in that conversation. We can put Clowney in that conversation and we can put Deron Holmes also in that conversation who is spoiler much, much further down our consensus board. He sits at 49 on our consensus board, but nevertheless, one of, one of the last major stopping slash talking points in this podcast would be about the big men and more. So I just, I want to get Steven's, perspective i'm 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 really i'm teasing you steven i i'm not actually angry it's, it's all good, at you, but it's all good i i do want to know why you are really really down on the big men in this draft class like we're not just talking about you on your personal board having them in like the 20s they're mm -hmm. they're in the late 30s and early 40s and in deron holmes's case he's not even inside your top 60 yeah. right now so i just i just want to know is it they aren't showing you enough in terms of being prospects overall is this more of a philosophical difference where you're just not targeting putting centers higher on your board right now where are you at with some of these names and you you can take this conversation whatever way you want you can talk about them as a whole you can break down certain guys individually take it wherever you want but why are some of these big man names in particular either so far down your board or off of it completely well, let me start with this. As a draft deeper team, we had Arthur Kaluma ranked 14th on our 1.0. Yes, we did. Right now, he's 46. Mm -hmm. That's a 32 spot drop. We had Lively 10th and we're 18th. Right now, I have Lively at 18th and we're 19th, which is a much smaller drop than where we are collectively right now as with Arthur Kaluma, right? 
I'm, and again, like I completely changed how I would have approached a 2.0 um, in prior years, right? Because I'm, I said blame, like Maxwell really inspired me to kind of go with my gut. And right now, like in all honesty, I feel like you guys have a little bit more of a harder sell to why you're holding on to where they're at now. Like, I feel like a lot of it might have to do with like their freshmen. Um, some of it might have to do with Kahlo Ware being in like a running back stable, so to speak, at Oregon, where he's not getting consistent playing time. Lively is in a very simplified role, and he fell a lot from being the number one prospect, even coming into the season, where a lot of people had him as a consensus player, right? So I don't know. I just the production isn't there. Like there's a lot of concerning stuff about both of those players. And when I'm considering that, like we're even talking about Noah Clowney over these two guys now, something that none of us thought was even going to happen before today. Right. So I just, there are other big men that I like more. There are more big men coming up to take their spot and neither one of these two are really doing anything to, to hold claim to that. Now, granted, again, I know that they're freshmen. I know that they're young they can still move back up my board, right? As the season goes on and they start like getting their footing or whatever. I just like have not been comfortable at all with their level of play. And I have had to have some very rose colored lenses to like, look at them and be like, yeah, like I'm still excited about these two guys. And Maxwell did a fantastic job, right? Writing the piece on like, I'm still in on Derek Lively. And like, I still want to believe in them, but I just I'm looking at like all these other prospects that I have and like I just at the end of the day the prospects that I have ranked ahead I just think are better now granted like they're all grouped in a similar tier like unfortunately I have to slap a number next to them but gut check feel I'm just lower on these dudes so that does make me feel a little better when you put it in the sense of they aren't producing in the way that you would want them to which is why you're you're going to look at not just other positions but other players to be able yeah. to rank ahead of them and, and make safer quote-unquote in your mind bets that that you're just going on on a gut check feel i would rather take player x over a kilowatt or or yeah. a Derek lively if you are going to take the argument and and use the stance of i'm valuing these other positional archetypes over guys like a true center like a kilowatt or a Derek lively i would have had more beef with that take because I think it's a mistake that I, I see on draft Twitter right now all the time, right? Yep. Like we're talking about these, these wings and forwards, and that's really what the NBA loves and is enamored with. But the NBA also still values size. You still yeah. need big guys to grab rebounds, to play defense, to protect the rim. Because when you don't have those big bodies, sure, you may close games with a smaller lineup, but when you don't have those bigger bodies at other points in the game, you're missing out on rebounding opportunities. You're missing out on easy points. You're missing out on block shots. You still need size. And when you can marry size with skill, right? When we talk about a Kahlil Ware and what we saw from him before he got to Oregon, and when we talk about a Derek Lively, what we've seen from him before he got to Duke, I agree that they aren't producing at the level that I would certainly like to see from them to be like potential top 10 picks or like mm -hmm. back-end lottery picks but I can't knock them too far down because of what I have seen prior. I'm not, I'm trying to be a little, I'm trying to definitely stand pat as opposed to being a little too overreactionary, Right. And that's just sure. kind of where I am on some of those names. I do, I do get the production thing, but Maxwell, you, you and I have talked about it off the air, mm -hmm. right? Like this, this not valuing 
centers to the point where you're knocking them like out of a first round. That to me is it, it's it's a little crazy, and yeah. I, I'm glad that that's not what Stephen did with, with his reason. Uh, yeah, no, I have more centers in my first round. Yeah, um, yeah, I <laughs> I saw like somebody who's like not like totally in the draft space. They joke about like how people like this don't there's like yeah they want people on draft twitter want us to take them seriously and they didn't have walker kessler in their top 60 (laughs) it's like yeah like he's he's a good player like uh i i think it's a real a real thing to uh to be too hard on bigs um Mm -hmm. with lively and where though i get it like the production has not been what we'd hope and like there's games with kalal where it's just like why aren't you scary and like yeah yeah, it is scary and with Derek lively it's like why don't you rebound uh it's it's weird it's very weird um with with where i can be a little more forgiving i think because like their guard situation is always really erratic his role can be completely different game to game not that it like gives him a total pass but like i can imagine being frustrated in his shoes or with lively it's like dude just jump (laughs) <laughs> like just grab that ball that's right there um yeah so i i have a really hard time with them i think it is important though to remember like we are like yeah the production i'm not gonna like defend it but at the same time this is about projecting forward and yes, i think yeah. the idea of what both of them can become is still really great like you're talking I about had... who can really protect the rim i think both guys have the potential to offer floor spacing i'm higher on lively's potential as a passer um the rebound like the rebounding is like abhorrent like it's i mentioned in my column but like he has a worse rebounding rate than guys like keontae george like he he has to rebound more it's you can't do that um but i think when you do project them forward like there is some really interesting like high high ceiling outcomes there yeah and i'm not again not ruling out the fact that like they can never come back up to the party or anything like Mm -hmm. that but to the projection piece like Jalen Duran wasn't in a favorable position last year at Memphis, right? And I still hold I still held strong to the fact that I thought for he sure. was in contentious for like a top a top ten dude because of the playmaking that he showed out of the post, switchability, rebounding, like stuff that's mm-hmm. within his control. He took hold of that. Like there's stuff within these guys' control that they're just not like taking hold of. And it, it's it's kind of concerning right mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Sorry, I like started like snickering when you said that because I was just thinking about like last year and people were like uh Jalen Duran like sometimes will like hang his head a little too much and it's like oh you yeah, think this is a center that like checks in and out of games just you wait just you wait until this next yeah. draft cycle and we'll see how good we had it with Jalen Duran <laughs> like putting up with what he dealt with in Memphis in that guard situation and now he's like it's not hard at all to defend Marcus. <laughs> it's not yeah. hard at all and, and it, it is frustrating because of the athletic gifts that both Ware and Lively have and we're not mm-hmm. seeing them use them on a consistent basis. And that's how a guy like Kyle Filipowski is passing them on big board. And it's why he's Mm -hmm. moved into possible lottery consideration for some evaluators out there, because the skill at different points in some of these games is just looking too good to pass on. And it's another reason why this big leaper that I keep talking about, Noah Clowney, it's why I really feel like the conversation is going to flip to, is he possibly like the best big man prospect? that we have in this draft who's not named Victor Romanyama. Like there's, there's a real possibility we could have that conversation in another month or two. And it's because he's, he's producing, he's doing exactly what we would want all of these other big men to do that game against South Dakota state, where he made five of 12 threes. He's all, <laughs> also had nine rebounds four assists. And then these other games, he's averaging either double digit or near double digit rebounds. He's blocking two to three shots in some of these contests. 
He's finding other ways to impact the game. He's another one of these guys who he has legitimate size and length. He's six foot ten, but he is a long dude. He moves incredibly well for his size. He's one of these players who we can project to not only protect the rim, but possibly come out away from the basket and hold his own in ways that I'm not so sure Kello Ware is going to be able to do at the next level. I'm not sure that Deron Holmes is ultimately going to be able to do. I, I wanted to have more confidence in that part of his game coming into the year. We haven't seen enough of it, in my opinion, at Dayton. And that's it's really the, the entire package and seeing it on a much more consistent basis and the confidence behind his game. Now that they're giving Clowney more opportunity at Alabama, he has really seized control. And gosh, I'm, I'm just, I'm just so impressed with what I've seen. Maxwell, I know that you and I had some conversations. You really came up on, on Clowney mm -hmm. as well. And yeah. anything you want to add to that conversation? No, I, I just think from like a production standpoint, he's obviously been the best freshman big man in college basketball. Um, I, I think it's just like clear cut and dry for me. If you talk about a two way big, um, he is so that I think a lot of people with Clowney, it's like, okay, he can be like switchable. He can stretch the floor and, and this and that. And like, yeah, 100%. Like he's going to protect the rim. He's going to rebound. There's that switchable upside. And I think people like get really hung up on like the stretch element of his game and him being a shooter. And mm -hmm. like, he is finishing so efficiently that like, even if that's not there at the NBA level, like you're still getting a really good big man. You're still getting a switchable big who is a fantastic finisher. Um, so like, if that's all he is, like, that's still really good. And I, I feel confident that he is that. Um, but I do buy the shooting kind of continuing to come along. I think his shot is really pretty. Um, and I think he is going to be that, like, I think he's going to be the modern big that everyone's looking for. And at this point, like, yeah, like a, a born in December. Sure. I'll, I'll place a bet on that and, and see how it looks in a couple months. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but, uh, yeah, I, I just really like what he has to offer projecting forward right just just scratching exactly. the yeah. surface of what that's, he can be and we talked too. like grib uh talks about this on twitter all the time like this and he's a dude who's been around forever like he's seen it all shout um, out to gribs yeah like he's mentioned that um like Connie didn't play on a shoe circuit the way a lot of these guys did. he came from like an independent grassroots program and i think that probably like factored into a lot of stuff it factored in the fact that like this is the first time he's doing this against like this high level of competition on a consistent basis that means something to me. like that mm -hmm. means that there yeah. might be more to unlock um in addition like it means that like yeah maybe we shouldn't be holding on to the fact like well you know he was like the 86th best recruit <laughs> by rsci it's like well like they probably didn't have as many eyes on him and when they that did never it was flops. probably a tough yeah. it, even then it was probably a tough evaluation for them because he wasn't playing against the same level of competition as everybody else so like yeah. you, you just got to take it with a grain of salt and look at what's in front of you and look at what he could be um, I feel like he's taken strides already during this season. So I'm willing to bet on him taking them going forward. And I, I like the tools. God bless grassroots evaluators. Yes. I feel like where, mm -hmm. where they're at in their point of talent evaluation, I, I truly feel like it's a, it's a much more extensive taxing and harder job than, than what we're trying to do. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. So shout out to everybody who contributes to any RSCI ranking or does their own sort of ranking or polls or whatever the case may be. Shout out to you guys in the grassroots circuit. Certainly, yeah, as you said, the grip, he's, he's been on draft Twitter forever. So we certainly appreciate his value and input in the space. So number 25 on our consensus board, Ryan repair for the New Zealand breakers, who I think is, is coming back soon. I think beginning of January, we're going to see him get to take Word. the floor again. Can't mm -hmm. wait. 
which neither one of us have him at 25 or higher, which goes to show you like how much we're about to differ, like as the board progresses. Oh, it's, it's, we're going to see some real differences. Yeah. Yeah. So 26, we have Marcus Sasser out of Houston, 27, Jalen Hood Shafino out of Indiana, 28, Jalen Wilson in Kansas, 29, an interesting prospect that, yeah, talk about differences. Tyrese Proctor, I have him 21. Steven has him 28. Maxwell has him at 48. So talk about some, some differences. We won't, I, I, I think yeah. it's a little too early though to have a deeper conversation on Proctor. He's one of the Yeah, guys. I just want to see the ball go in the hole more. That's it. Like yeah. I he's a guy who could very easily like fly right back up. And like, is that your Marcus Sasser take too? Why you have him? <laughs> just, uh yeah, I, I had Sasser brother. too low. Like I one hundred percent had Sasser too low. But it's I mean it's similar and it's just like yeah, like Sasser is a guy I'm like more okay missing on to a degree, yeah. but yeah, same I will thing say Sasser. Sasser's got the injury too, so it's like that's true. You can't even see out of one of your eyes. Like, but he looks sick with the glasses, though, which should give does. him more it's value. Mm-hmm. Two to three months from now on this podcast, mark my words, we're going to be having lottery conversations about Noah Clowney and Tyrese Proctor. Mark my words. I think Clowney 100%. for sure. Yeah. Well, it's on the air now, so it's it's, it's on the air. Reference. You you can you can hold my feet to the fire. Somebody keep that quote somewhere <laughs> on on tape, and we'll mm-hmm. see where where we are closer to the NCAA tournament. And then at thirty, I'm going to give Stephen the floor. Yes, to tell us a little bit about this prospect because he was the first one out of us three to really bring the name to light. He was somebody who I had him marked on my preseason list of prospects as a freshman who I wanted to keep eyes on, but I was not expecting him to be in the draft conversation this year, let alone be in the first round conversation. And oh, by the way, we have Taylor Hendricks out of UCF at 30. There are people who have him inside their their top 15, top 20 on their board. So Steven, tell our audience, or at the very least remind our audience who Taylor Hendricks is as a prospect and why we need to be taking him more seriously as a first-round talent. First off, I'm just thrilled to death that, like, we got him in the first round. Like, that's just incredible. You're gonna By, start by your merits guys. alone, because I – so I have him at 56 on my board, and that's not saying that I only see him as a back-end of the second-round talent. I'm also very measured on if I'm adding somebody to a big board altogether – I don't want to rocket them too far up the board unless I'm feeling that strongly about a talent. Like Noah Clowney would have been the only name that I did that with on my board because I have truly been enamored about him. But for me to enter Hendricks into the conversation, that's why I have him lower. But if if I were to have graded him closer to where you guys have him, he might have very well been inside like the top 21, top 22 guys on our board. So you guys, yeah, you guys are really driving the Taylor Hendricks train. Yeah, he was 17 well, for me. Yeah, like Maxwell, I think, is was the highest of the two of us. I think I had him at, what, like 25 or something? 25, like yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I think we're seeing the same dude, though, right? Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, UCF forward, like, has an idealized NBA role right now, right? Like, a switchable guy who can give you minutes, like, in the defending in the front court, can switch out onto the wing, is a knockdown three-point shooter, is an excellent weak side rim protector. He rebounds well. He's a like a he's a freshman, like a real freshman. So you got the developmental curve that everybody loves, right? Um, you, your your staff gets to influence like the way that he grow and develop more. And I just I love him, man. Like he's 
he just needs to improve as a decision maker, but I think that will come with time and also with strength too, right? Like the thing that everybody is knocking Brandon Miller about is that his two point percentage sucks and, you know, he can't do anything. And well, give the guy a chance, like maybe a year to get a little stronger, maybe in the off season and that type of stuff should flush out. I think a lot of the same things will apply with Taylor Hendricks as he moves forward. He's just such a floor raiser too, for that UCF team. Like I don't think anybody saw them coming in the manner in which they have right now. And he is just, He's doing just such tremendous work. He's like a very good athlete, too. Has a pretty good vertical pop. Uh, lateral mobility, Maxwell, you could probably talk on this a little bit better than me, but I think that it's real and I think that it's there. Um, I just don't know if he's a pure five and I don't trust the ball handling. Right. Like he can do enough with the ball yeah, to be yeah. dangerous positionally, <laughs> but he's not going to take anybody off the bounce or anything like that. No. So, that kind of limits him in role, in my opinion, which is why I kind of have him at the tail end of the first. But that could change. I'm just I'm very thrilled with what I've seen from him so far. Yeah. So like I talked about, like just placing bets on guys on this board. He's a guy I'm comfortable betting on because just like the stuff that is there is all the important stuff, right? Like he's got pro size. Yep. He can really rebound. He can really protect the rim. And I say this like every podcast. But if he's going to play the four, like we said, we said, rim protection is becoming increasingly more important. He's very good at that. He looks huge to me. Like, yeah. I know he's listed at like, he is a big nine. boy. Yeah. He is at least six foot nine. So I do think there's a chance that he plays center. If he does yeah. play center, um, then great. Like you've got an exceptional floor spacer. I think that jump shot is real, real. That's I 100% by him is like, I think he's finishing the year over 40% from three. Like, so then you're talking about a guy who's that good, who offers that defensive versatility, who offers that size. Like you take, that's a one and done guy that you draft in the top 20. Um, As a freshman. Yeah. 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 Um, I do worry about like how quiet his game goes. Like you watch his bad games and it's like, is he even out there? Like his, his bad offense, games like, are like really bad. And that's yeah. part of why, at least on offense. And that's part mm-hmm. of why I, I wanted to be a little measured and adding him into the board and not all of a sudden just being like, yeah, I, I've seen his name pop up all over the place. Yeah, I've seen him have a good game or two. I'm all of a sudden, I'm going to jump him into my top 25 mm-hmm. without being that sold on the complete package on a night-to-night basis. Yeah, like the ball skills are rough. And yeah. it, that's one of the things work. That's why he's not like lottery for me. Like if I'm taking you in the lottery, I want you to be like in that sort of position. But if you're on an average here talking about guys who are like the 15th through 20th best player in a draft, generally like they do have like something that they can't do. And for Taylor Hendricks, it might be just like dribble and be a really good passer. But still, even if this is a guy that is huge, who I park in the corner to make a ton of threes at like high volume and then be an absolute monster who can cover fours and fives and like not get killed when he switches on to smaller players. Like, yeah, I'm absolutely loving that guy in, in that draft range. So I think he's got room to climb. If like the shot really falls off, maybe he falls, but like I really buy the shot a lot. If, if, if you're going to come out swinging and take a bet on somebody, I, I do not blame you Maxwell for him being one of those guys on your board that, yeah, you're, you're going to take a swing on him. You're going to put him into your top 20 and you're going to feel good about it. I don't, I don't fault you one bit. He's a name that I certainly want to keep monitoring for somebody who can climb up my personal board. So we'll see where we're sitting the next time we do this exercise. So that's that's our first round. We're going to go through the second round, and there's a few talking points that personally I'll hit on because I saw some of these guys yesterday up close and personal in Madison Square Garden, but we're going to try and go a little bit quicker through the second yeah. round. So 
31, we have CD Sissoko out of the G League Ignite. 32 is one of these talking points. I will I will let Steven hit on Ricky Council of Fourth out of Arkansas really quickly. Blue pigs. He he did choose to write about Mr. Council for his weekend wear that was published the day that we are recording this podcast. So Steven, I will say before you give your breakdown on him, he's one of my two favorite wing prospects that that I'm really starting to see. Like if I wanted to pick two names that I really wish I could have gotten in the first round and may very well be in the first round the next time we do this, his name is one along with Jalen Clark, who I'll touch on a little bit later in a second. But Ricky Council the fourth, why did you want to write about him and what has he really shown you that that makes you be like, yeah, this is a guy who we need to be valuing much more as we move into the next part of the draft cycle. Well, yeah, so, um, you know, we're getting more film on the bigger names and I'm trying to like work my way up into actually starting writing about like top 35, top, you know, top 30 prospects. And Ricky Council stood out to me because I think that what we're seeing now and how we're projecting him moving forward, I think is really important um, because Arkansas, he started the season off with Nick Smith being out, being asked to do a lot more with the ball in his hand. Um, and it's worked out tremendously for Arkansas. You know, he's 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 shown that he's grown as a playmaker, um, as a ball handler, and someone who can get to his spots with relative ease. Um, one thing that I just like is so hard for me, and I wrote about this in the piece over at NoCeilingsNBA.com, is how much different he approaches three-point shooting to any other part of his game. We're talking about one of the premier collegiate athletes that – if you were just to turn on a Ricky Council mixtape, you would be like, why is this guy not like a lottery level talent? Um, because for as much as he can jump over the top of anyone's head, you'd be hard pressed to slide a sheet of paper underneath his feet when he's shooting a three point shot. And it's really difficult to watch because, and I break this down in my piece too, right? Like where he'll drive on a mid range shot with a hand in his face and he will just elevate up over the guy and he won't get blocked at all. His just, his shooting mechanics and his form from deep scare me. And when I'm looking at a player who I don't think is going to be primarily, you know, going to have the offense ran through him, you're going to have to shoot. The shot is like the worst part of his offense and it can get better. Like I wholeheartedly believe that if someone's like, Hey man, do you want to jump? So you're not overcompensating with your arms and missing like all over the place. Like he doesn't consistently miss in one spot. Like it's so sporadic everywhere that he misses and I wholeheartedly believe it's because he's just, it's a push shot. Um, defense leaves me a little bit concerned, which also, if you're not going to be a star player, like you got to, you got to play defense and shoot threes. Um, little concerning, but I do love the upside with him, which is why I have him like very early second round. Don't know if I'm going to get him in that first round shot, but if that three or first round conversation, but if the shot comes around, then heck yeah, like because he's electric on the floor. He is a little bit of a funky evaluation because of the type of prospect that he is, right? Some of these like mid-range specialists who don't quite have the three-point equity that we would want them to have, don't quite have the defensive equity that we would want them to have. They get a little trickier to where yeah. if this doesn't work, you'd much rather take that guy with a second-round pick than a first-round pick. But if it hits, which, by the way, he has had some impressive performances for Arkansas this year, Absolutely. both from – that mid-range area from skying up and being able to finish around the basket, as well as from distance when he does put the whole package together, boy, 
he looks like Arkansas's best player at times, which is that Leading that's scary scoring. to say because we we all love Anthony Black. We all love Nick Smith. We have them so much higher up our boards. And I think before Trevon Brazil went down with an injury, somebody who we have a little bit lower than Ricky Council, but you there there were some highlights with Trevon Brazil where we look at him like should have he been a possible yeah. first round prospect. So the fact that we can say that about Ricky Council on a loaded Arkansas team. That speaks volumes to me, and that's why I think he is, albeit a trickier eval, but somebody who I'm very interested to see where I have him on my big board in, in within the next one to two months. So we will keep an eye on him. Another guy who Steven wrote about prior is Ulis Tubelis. We have him at 33. I am buying all the 30 to 35 range stock on Azulis Tubelis. I think he's another guy who could crack the first round. We have Colby Jones at 34, and we have Bryce Sensabaugh out of Ohio State at 35. I got to see him up close and personal for Ohio State against North Carolina. I will just say about Bryce, he is he is certainly a scorer. That man is a walking bucket. Yeah. I get concerned <laughs> about some of the passing at times. I think he can be a good passer, but he gets a little too creative at times to where he has some pretty awful-looking turnovers. And the defense... It's really interesting because a, a guy who's built like him, you wouldn't expect him to have some of the success that he has one-on-one -on -one away from the basket. I, I thought at least at different points yesterday against North Carolina, he was actually pretty decent in one-on-one -on -one situations. It's when they tried to switch a bunch of different ball screens or they had him scrambling around a defense where he had to move to another part of the floor. It looked really bad. Right, he, he was not aware fully of what's going on. He wasn't communicating with some of his teammates. And you can put those two things along with concerns we would have about his foot speed, and you see where some of the problems could come in from a defensive perspective with him at the NBA level. And it's something that, to my eye, it holds him back for me for being more of this like 3-2 or this 2-3 that a lot of people would want him to be because of where he could score the ball from. I think he's much better suited to be like a power forward. And that leaves its own set of questions that need to be answered. So I have him number 30 on my board. You guys have him in the second round. I think having him in an early second round range is perfectly fine because, albeit we found a number of answers to what his scoring was going to look like at the college level, there are still a number of questions that need to be answered with his game. So I will, again, be very curious to monitor his evaluation. But he, he, he performed. He scored over 20 points. There were some really good rebounding moments for him against North Carolina. Like he was getting offensive boards in the middle of both Baycott um, and I'm, I'm really blank. And, and Pete Nance, sorry, I was blanking on Pete Nance's name, but like he was getting rebounds in the middle of both of those guys in traffic to where I'm going, holy shit. Like if he can do this, that's the type of role I want him playing at the NBA level. That's why I value him more as a foreman as opposed to this guy who almost exclusively would operate away from the basket. So really interesting player, really interesting prospect. I want to see where his evaluation goes. 36, we have Julian Phillips out of Tennessee. 37, we have Nikola Jurisic uh, playing for Mega Mozart overseas. 38, we have Jordan Walsh. And 39, Jalen Clark, as I mentioned, somebody who caught my eye. I already hate where I have him. This is I, one of my biggest regrets. So I hate where I have him too, because I had him also at 39 on my board. Steven, you had him much lower than that. I have him at 57 and I'm an idiot. I, eh, you don't got to be that hard on yourself, Steven. Yeah, but I'm just I, I I'm had some stupid. 60s too. 
I'm a cottonhead in ninny muggins. <laughs> I will say what I saw in person yesterday, guys. If we were to do our boards today, after what I was able to see yesterday, I'd have a top 25 grade on. I completely loved what I saw from a defensive perspective. That man is all over the floor. He is reading the game like a quarterback on that side of the ball. And then offensively, no, the jump shot isn't perfect, but we're seeing enough shot making, both him being able to get to the basket, how effortlessly he rises up off one foot to finish over defenders, what he looks like when he gets out in transition, able to outrun everybody in a foot race. There's just way too many positives that I'm seeing right now to let any of the negatives from a creation standpoint, from a passing standpoint, hold me back to where I would not have him inside the top 25 on my personal board. So Steven, I, I don't know where you would have him now if you were making a new board, but oh man, some I of your regrets, up, like but... w- what are you, what are you feeling about Jalen Clark? Well, like just to kind of put this out, like at this point in the season, I'm trying to cast out as big as the net as I can and, and I'm still sifting. Right. And I just, I worry what his NBA role looks like. I genuinely do. Like, so do even I. though I, I feel like I have him too low. I do worry about his NBA role because I was watching film on him today as we're recording. And one of the things that I noticed is that he's an exclusively a right-handed finisher. Um, He's a little bit more on the smaller size. He is very athletic, but the fact that he is like a smaller size guard and he's one hand dominant and he's not a good shooter, like that really concerns me offensively. Like we see guys like Matisse Thibel, who is like an elite defensive minded guy, like not see the floor, you know what I mean? And, we always say if this guy can just get a jump shot, if this like Isaac Okoro, like everyone was really high on him for his ball skill, um, for the potential for him to grow as a passer, playmaker. And, you know, if he gets a jump shot, it's going to look really good because of how good of a defender he is. Um, everyone wants to kick him off the Cavaliers already. I just I really worry I would move him up substantially, like not saying that I'm not trying to justify where I have him because admittedly I have him too low. I just, I genuinely do have concerns about what he looks like in the NBA because even the best version of him defensively, like he's still going to be limited on the positions that he can guard too, right? So it just kind of, I kind of worry about like, is the offensive limitations and enough to go with the very stellar but positionally limited defensive upside that he can give an NBA team? Maxwell, any thoughts you want to add in on Jalen Clark? Yeah, I feel like I'm still kind of, like he's a big wait and see guy for me. Like I've okay. been like early second right now. I feel like I really like his offensive game. Like I've been kind of impressed with like, and it's not like he's getting super, better as like, the year. Yeah, there's on. like some real yeah. touch. Like there's some interesting footwork stuff to get to the basket. Like he's a good looking I, runner. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's all sorts of stuff where it's like, Oh, I think I'm like buying him is like, I'm more complete offensive player than I anticipated him to. I'm interested to see where the shot settles. But it kind of feels like, oh, there might even be like potentially more than like three and D. But then like if the shot falls off, it's like, well, then did we put the cart ahead of the horse? Like, yeah, like I it's it's just such a departure offensively what we've seen this year versus past years. And I don't want to like anchor myself too much to that. But I also don't want to get like way too excited. Uh, Like last year, like Will Richardson had a huge stretch of games where he was awesome. And I was like, I'm going to put him in the first round. And then like he was still Will Richardson. So like, you just, you'd never know. Like I, I, I want to just really see where it plays out, but at a certain point, like, Hey, you can't pass on him. So that like, this is around where I have him now, but 
he could he could move way up, he could move down. Measured takes. That's what we're trying to do here at Draft Deeper and No Ceilings. We're we're trying anyways. We're 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 trying. Not on this Number- board. <laughs> <laughs> Number 40. We have Imani Bates, 41. We have Coleman Hawkins out of Illinois, 42. We have Maxwell's favorite sleeper prospect, Tucker DeVries out of Drake. 43. We have Amari Bailey out of UCLA. 44, Trace Jackson Davis out of Indiana. 45, Julian Strother out of Gonzaga. 46, uh, Stephen mentioned the free fall that, that Arthur Kaluma has undergone. We won't, that, that will be another podcast for another day. We will talk more about him. 47, Leonard Miller out of the G League Ignite. 48, we have Terrence Arsenault out of Houston. 49, another guy who's taken a little bit of a fall since our last board, Deron Holmes out of Dayton. 50, we have Terrence Shannon Jr. 51, Tyrese Hunter out of Texas, 52, Trevon Brazil out of Arkansas, 53, Trey Alexander out of Creighton, 54, Keyshawn Gilbert out of UNLV. I will let Stephen and Maxwell touch on a few of these names at the very end here. They'll be one of them. 55, we have Reese Beekman out of Virginia, 56, Jordan Hawkins out of UConn, 57, another one of the names, JV McCollum out of Siena, 58, Kevin McCuller, 59, Mark Mitchell, and 60, Alex Fudge out of Florida makes the tail end of our board. So two more newcomers. Maxwell, I will kick it to you first. Keyshawn Gilbert, Javion McCollum, you and Steven both ranked mm-hmm. him. I didn't rank either one of these guys. Oh, I didn't. Why are I, didn't, these I, didn't I was the only one that ranked both of them. Yeah, yeah, I didn't rank either of them. I'm open to ranking Gilbert. Gilbert was probably like 64. Like he was probably around that range for me. I missed that. I missed um, that. I, I'm so sorry. I thought oh, that you good. did. Well, we can we can I go like to Stephen then. Stephen yeah. Stephen can talk about both of these guys. So Stephen, why why were you the person on Draft Deeper to rank these guys? Well, I know I'm not the only person on Draft Deeper that respects a draftable grade on Kashan Gilbert or for on no ceilings, I should say, that has a draftable grade on Kashan Gilbert. And when Maxwell was like, "Hey, like these dudes aren't in draft conversation now," like. Here's this article that I read. Read it. The article is like, these dudes weren't in draft conversation. You got to feel for a guy, put him there. I really feel like Kashawn Gilbert is an NBA point guard. Like I had, I he's six four, one hundred ninety pounds. Like when we think about some of the like the the better point guards in the NBA, he fits the physical profile there. He's wiry, got some decent strength, has a nice handle, great body control. He rejects screens well, so he's not just like pick and roll dependent like he can create with the ball in his hand um he and and makes plays with either hand um gets to his spots well he's 52.6 percent from the floor has a fantastic runner and a nice floater great shooter only two games where he went oh for two or oh of three all the other games that he's played in he was 40 percent or better from the three-point line right and he's 50 percent on the season rebounds very well positionally He's a good passer, has had six plus game or six games of four or more assists. Solid defender, has length, and that leads him to being somewhat uh, switchable. Against Washington State, I saw him switch to the big, and you would think that, you know, Mouse in the House, no, like he shut down the big man for Washington's. He's very strong point guard, right? Um, and, and with that, he's had five games with three or more steals, only one game on the season without a steal, right? Like, very big on this guy. He fits like like if you're looking for for a point guard prospect that you want to put in the first round, like and you have your boxes, like check 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 check. Like 
he, he I should he have said, by the way, that you have both first round grades on on Gilbert and and McCollum. Don't feel the best about McCollum. That was more of like going with my heart than as much as Jack, my brain. Yeah, yeah. Like Kishon Gilbert, I feel like I have like a real like a much stronger intellectual argument, and as well as like just emotionally. By the way, like I love watching Kishon Gilbert play because when the like it looks like he's just like going about his day when he's dribbling the basketball and then the defense will give him an opening and it just pisses him off it offends him like he does not like when the defense gives him any sort like he he takes it personally and he attacks them and it's he's just a lot of fun to watch man like he he just does so much on on film that if this was my 2.0 board I would not have him as high as I did but like if I'm considering it's early in the season I can move him down just as easily as I can move him up I I have a first round grade on this dude. Like I'm loving every, every bit that I'm seeing. Like there's like hardly any weakness in his game at all. I genuinely feel that way. Maxwell, since I didn't kick it to you for any of the fun names at the end, Mm -hmm. I will go to you to, to close out this discussion on a high note. Any final thoughts you want to add about our composite big board 2.0 exercise? Uh, no, I, I feel like at this point in the year, I think if you feel good about your board, like either you do this for a living and like you have so much time that you've like watched every single game that these guys played or like you're not doing it right. Like, I think it's I think at this point in the process, you should be having like a real level of healthy skepticism about a lot of these players and being really open to where it's going to go. Uh, and that that's kind of where I'm at right now. Like there's some guys that like I would rather bet on than others, but. Yeah, I'm not really married to any of these, but I think it's important to just like keep a list in your head of like, who do I like so that you can prioritize like your film schedule? Like for me, that's like such a big thing is like making sure that like, hey, if I think I like this guy, like I need to be staying on top of them so that I don't look like an idiot if I'm defending them. Um, so yeah, like, it, cause like I, like we mentioned Tucker DeVries earlier, like I had him 30th because I really buy the movement shooting, the feel, and I think he's going to be okay on defense. Um, like I don't think he's going to get killed, I should say. Um, but like he had a game against Richmond where like, they put smaller guys on him, mm-hmm. and when they put smaller guys on him, he had a hard time getting open. He didn't know, you know, do I go inside? Do I seal? Do I like do that? Like it, it really threw him for a loop, and like that matters. Like if you really like a guy, stay on top of the film and just keep an open mind and be like, hey, there's going to be games where like, things don't go right, and when that happens, like don't make excuses for him. Figure out what it was. Figure out what they need to work on. Take that into account, and then consider where you go from there. I think that um you know like i really want to see him succeed and like part of it should, like part of it is like yeah like an ego thing like yeah I, I liked him before a lot of people liked him but and i want all these guys to succeed but at the same time like you got to keep yourself in check and i think that's a really important thing to do like do not marry your big board rankings right now like let it play out take in new information and, and see what comes that was an excellent way to wrap up our big board 2.0 composite big board 2.0 i should say discussion that was a great podcast, guys. I, I feel really good about the work that we've done to get to this point, certainly in the season. And I'm even more confident that we're going to keep doing tremendous evaluations, putting in the hours, getting through all the film, talking with each other about where we settle on all these guys as we make more episodes of this podcast moving forward. So that wraps it up for this episode. Thank you so much for showing us the support that you do, everybody out there listening. Please make sure you're subscribed to the No Ceilings NBA feed wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. You can also watch the video version of this podcast on YouTube. Subscribe, rate, review, all that fun stuff. You can follow me on Twitter at DraftDeeper. You can follow Steven on Twitter at Stephen G Hoops. 
and you can follow Maxwell on Twitter at Boundboards. I have Rookie Rank Volume 2 coming out the same day that we're releasing this podcast episode. Steven, as I mentioned, he already released The Weekend Warrior. He featured Ricky Council IV. Make sure you read his piece if you have not read it already. And then Maxwell is going to have a full breakdown on multiple names that he was able to see um, in Chicago as he was also boots on the ground. So certainly make sure you're reading all of our fantastic pieces at noceilingsnba.com. Subscribe to the Substack. Steven, did you want to interject, say something at the last minute? Yeah, just real quick. Um, be sure you're listening to Home and Away tomorrow. It was my hand at hosting. And uh, Josh Lloyd of the Locked On Podcast Network, who is like the godfather of fantasy basketball, um, he he and I, we talk about a lot of the young NBA prospects, something that I don't really get a chance to do. I haven't talked to NBA in a really, really long time. It was cool to have him. And we just run down a bunch of prospects kind of based off of uh, Nathan's work that he's done for no ceilings and where we had guys on our 1.0 kind of rookie rankings and had a great discussion with him. So if you like NBA talk, tune in tomorrow. Look at that fun week at NoCeilingsNBA.com. You have my rookie rank going out. So now Tuesday, you have home and away with Steven as well as Josh Lloyd from the Locked On Network. And then Wednesday, I will be on in podcast form with Nick on Deep Dives as we also take a look at what the hell did Nate write for his rookie rank this week. I can't <laughs> wait to discuss some of the fun young guys in the NBA. Trust me when I say they deserve the coverage that they're getting and they deserve the continued coverage that they will get throughout this year because this this class is deep, boys. Like It, yep. it really is. Like This mm-hmm. has been a much better rookie class than I think a lot of people anticipated. The number of legitimate contributors that I could point out in an exercise like that, I believe I got my piece to about 16 names in total when you factor in the 10 that would comprise my quote-unquote all-rookie ballot, and I think I have six other honorable mentions that I also wrote a few it's words Without about. Chet. That's that's without Chet Holmgren at the top. You're absolutely right. So really fun class. Make sure you're tuned into everything we're doing in No Ceilings NBA. But until that time, until we meet again on this podcast feed, thank you all for listening, and I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week. 